Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsaniego.com. All right, you guys ready? Get a Bible out. That was a resounding, excited yes by one person. Um, but too bad you're stuck with me and you can't move your car because of street fairs today. So you're here for the next 30 minutes. Which, by the way, proud of you guys for being at church. Every time there's a street fair, I'm like, who's going to fight through the traffic? And it's you guys. God loves you a little bit more. It's not, it's not theologically correct, but it's, it's okay. We're, we're glad that you're here. Um, but we've been in a, the last few weeks we've been talking about the concept of relationships. And the reason we've been doing that is because we serve a relational God. And the close, the more we understand spirituality, the more we understand that directly affects our relationships. And so we have been taking a look at the, the thesis that rather than thinking that there is some perfect person or community out there that can fill every single need you have, what if God gives you a fuel and a well and an ability to produce a life-giving love to whoever's in your life? And so we've been looking at different elements of relationships and kinds of relationships from dating and singleness and marriage. Um, and so it's been this journey. You guys are welcome to go back to our podcast and listen to that. But today, as we conclude it, um, I woke up this morning really excited about today because today is, um, is essential for us to conclude this series. And the reason for that is we've been asking ourselves the question, what's God's vision for dot, dot, dot? What's God's vision for relationship? What's God's vision when it comes to how we love people? And, and I think when we ask ourselves that, honestly, we have the ability for most of us to have a, a little bit of a letdown when we realize that God's vision and our current reality maybe don't match up exactly. And I don't think it really matters who you are, what kind of relationships you're in or what your relationships look like. The chances are when we're comparing uh, these relationships towards God's perfect vision for them, there's sometimes this gap. And, and we've had amazing conversations the past few weeks with a, with a lot of you guys. Uh, but I was, I was thinking about Growing up, and I, re- I, remember, uh, I remember feeling like I was a really good artist for much of my life. And I remember the day when I decided that I was not a good artist. Does anyone ever remember that day? Because everyone thinks they're a great artist when they're like five. And, and then somewhere along the line, some of you guys make it past junior high, you know, and then you get into high school. And at some point, I think everyone just realized like, oh, well, I can't make that, so I guess I'm not. That. And I think, and it's, it's kind of a funny day, but a sad day. But I think oftentimes as we look at scriptures, we can struggle with that same sort of emotion. Oh, I guess I'm not that. I guess my relationships aren't looking like that. And this is what we're going to be talking about today, is what's, what does Jesus have to say when the ideal does not match our reality? What is Jesus' interaction with us, frankly, when we fail in relationships? How do we respond? What, what, is, what does God teach us and tell us about how to interact with the spaces in our lives that look less than perfect? And what's amazing is I think that Jesus has a tremendous amount to say about that, a tremendous amount of empathy and empowerment for us to walk away from today. 
And so we're going to be hanging out in, in John's gospel. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's your fourth book in the New Testament. And as John is concluding uh, this letter, he does something really interesting. John chapter 20, uh, scholars all agree, it looks like John is ending his letter, and then he like remembers one more story. He's like, oh yeah, or maybe the Holy Spirit's like, you left one out. I really want this one in there. But listen to the end of John chapter 20, when it says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The end. Like it's just, it just, it has all of the dressings of a literary ending. And then there's one more story. And I'm so glad it's in there because it's actually one of my favorites in all of Scripture because it deals with someone who is completely broken relationally. Someone who has come to the end of themselves in the relationships that they held most dear. And Jesus' interaction with him in that moment is so profound and life-changing that I hope every single one of us will be shaped by it today. So John continues in chapter 21, starting in verse 1. We're going to read about 19 verses, a little lengthy, but stick with us. It'll be on your screen if you don't have a Bible. But I wanted, all of these details matter. We'll see that in a second. But in verse 1, it says, Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. Now, keep in mind, this is after Jesus has died, risen again. He's appeared to his disciples a few times, and he's appearing to them one last time by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got in the boat, but they, that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were, un- they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John's referring to himself, the self-given title, it's great, um, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, but they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. Remember that, that idea of burning coals? There was fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do 
you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you're younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So let's just stop right here. There's a lot going on here. And for those of you who are new to the scriptures, uh, let me just give you some context here. Uh, Peter, Simon Peter in this story, was the head of all of the apprentices or the disciples following Jesus during that time. He was the guy, he was kind of the ringleader, always kind of would always put himself first and never had a problem just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm here for you, whatever you need, uh, to the point where oftentimes it got him in trouble. Well, in the midst of this, Peter has found that all of his, his strength and willpower and boasting has failed him because the night Jesus was betrayed, Jesus prophesied, you'll betray me three times. Peter's response to this is, I'll never betray you. As a matter of fact, I will go to death for you. I will lose my life for you. There's no way I'm going to deny you. But as the prophecy unfolds, we find that Peter does exactly that. He denies him three times, one of those uh, to a young girl. And then Luke describes in his gospel that after the third time that Jesus actually looks across the temple courts while he's being beaten and makes eye contact with Peter. And Peter runs out weeping. This is where we find Peter. Jesus has died and resurrected and it seems like things are good. Like Jesus has done what he's want, but things are not good inside Peter. The internal turmoil that he's wrestling with because of his failure, because of of his lack of allegiance that he had given to Jesus is eating him up inside. And so we're going to be looking at three things today, three points that I think will be on your screen. We're going to be looking at the reality of letdown in relationships. Secondly, the redemption that love has in relationships. And then the resurrection of life that can happen in relationships because of Jesus. Let's just talk about the reality of letdown, the Peter's facing in this moment. There's kind of, there's four things that are happening here. The first one is we see that Peter, in that moment, makes this statement, let's go fishing. Let's go back. And again, if you're unfamiliar with the story of Peter, he was a fisherman that three years prior was running, from all we know, a pretty successful fishing business. He wasn't just a fisherman. He owned a whole business. He had a family in Bethsaida in a town that was kind of a fishing village. And Jesus comes along and invites him to follow him which we'll talk about in a second, and he leaves it all to follow Jesus, and he's his right-hand guy the entire time. And, and after this whole thing happens, he makes this proclamation, I'm going back. And for all intents and purposes, he's essentially giving up. He's like, I, I'm out. There's no reason I should be a part of this, of this apprenticeship anymore. There's no way Jesus wants me to be here. I'm going back to what feels familiar I think oftentimes this is what we can do in even our own relationships and our own struggles when we have letdowns is we have these ideals. Oh, our relationship's going to look like this. This time, uh, my dating relationship's going to look like this, and then it doesn't. Oh, my marriage isn't going to look like my parents' marriage, and then you have your own struggles. Or, oh, this isn't going to, oh, man, I finally found the perfect job, and then you realize your boss is just a person like your last boss. And all of a sudden, these ideals are shattered, and you have this temptation to be like, I'm just going to go backwards. And this is what Peter does. But it's not, it's not just there. He's kind of giving up in the sense of defeat. 
Because something interesting happens. When Jesus calls them to the shore, there's an interesting detail that it points out. It says that Jesus was cooking breakfast over a coal fire. This, this word coal fire is this Greek word um, anthrokia. And anthrokia is only used two times in the, all of the scriptures. And it's just this word that is this kind of like coal-like smoldering fire used for cooking. And the only other time it's used is fascinating because it's used in a couple chapters earlier in John chapter 18 describing the scene when Peter denied Jesus. Listen to this. John 18 verse 16 says, But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who had not who had known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of these man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and the officials stood around the anthrokia, the coal-burning fire. This week, I was taking a run down the coast, kind of by pipes in Cardiff, and I was running, and I ran by the campgrounds, and all of a sudden, I smelled a campfire. You guys know that campfire smell? It's not the same as like a fireplace smell. It's that coal burning, and immediately, I'm like taken back to like backpacking in Kings Canyon. Like it is one of the most nostalgic senses for me, and I haven't been camping in years, but I immediately are flooded with these memories. Imagine this is what's happening. Peter gets to shore, realizes, oh, this, this is Jesus. All of these things are flooding around in his emotions, and then he smells the same smell of his failure. Oh, this is the aroma of betrayal. I don't think John <laughs> made a mistake here by using these two words only in these two occasions. He's, he's pointing out very much, in, in, if, you were, if we were to read this in the Greek, that there is a correlation here that would, what is overwhelming the senses that Peter's having right here is a sense that he did not land on the promises that he had made to Jesus. And then Jesus goes on and he, and he repeats this phrase three times, which we'll get into in a minute. Do you love me? Which is just another layer of him just being reminded of his betrayal that he denied Jesus three times. And, but then it goes into another level when it, John records, there's 153 fish. Well, that's either an incredible eyewitness account, just detailed that for some reason John put in there, um, or there's two other reasons. One, they, there is believed in Josephus's accounts, who's a historian, that there's 153 people groups. So some theologians believe that this was a reference that Jesus's death was for the whole world. The second theme was one that was presented to me when I was in Israel. I think we have a couple pictures. Let's show the ones of the water first. Um, that's not the water. Uh, that, uh, this is the actual spot where they believe this happened, kind of on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, let's go to the other picture. Um, when we were in Israel, our tour guide was this brilliant archaeologist, messianic Jewish guy, brilliant PhD level. And he talked to us a lot about numerology within Judaism. And he talked about every single letter uh, just has a number assigned to it along with every single kind of accent mark. And what, he, uh, what a friend pointed out to him, and again, this is a very Jewish way of thinking, is that if you added up all of the numbers to make 153, and in, in according to kind of their ancient Jewish numerology, it would spell out the phrase, I am God. 
And if you know anything about John's writing, there are seven I am statements throughout his book. And there seems to be, and again, this could be a little bit nuanced reading into this, but it seems to be in this moment that one of the main theories behind there's a reference to 153 fish is it's just another reminder for Peter to understand, hey, this is, do you know who this is? This is the Christ. This is the Son of God. And so you can imagine at this moment the, the weight that Peter's feeling, that if we're honest, we've probably all felt at one point or another. Whether it's your relationship with God or with other people, this sense of, I wanted to be better. I had so much more expectation for myself. But Jesus looks at Peter, and it's, it's fascinating that in this moment, Peter responds the same way Adam and Eve do in the garden, right? Adam and Eve fail their relationship with God, and they immediately sow fig leaves. Peter fails God and immediately just goes back to fishing. And in the Genesis story, we see a God who sacrifices an innocent animal to cover the sins of, his, of, man, of man and woman. And in this moment, we see something that's very similar. We see Jesus pointing to his own sacrifice as a spotless lamb to, point, to a point of covering what Peter has done. This is how he does this. Going down to verse 15, there's an interesting dialogue that's going on here. I've taught on this once before, but for those who are new and it bears repeating, for us to understand the dialogue, dialogue that's going on here, we have to understand two Greek words here for love. One is phileo, one is agape. Phileo would have been the common use for love, like I love in and out I love you, you love me. Um, it's this brotherly love, it's affectionate, it's real, right? It's, it's not superficial. But then there's agape love, which we find the New Testament writers introduce us to, this idea, and that's this God's kind of love. It is a powerful, self-giving love that wills the good of another above your own. It's, it's God's love. And so we have to understand these two words, because as I read this text, I'm going to insert these Greek words as they're being used here, because what Jesus does here is fascinating. So when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me more than these? Do you, do you love me more than these? Right? Do, do you have brotherly affection towards me more than these people sitting around you? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I phileo you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you phileo me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you agape me? He said, listen to this, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is such a profound moment through the life of Peter. Because as far as I'm aware of, this is the very first time in Peter's recorded life that he says, I can't do what you're asking me. Jesus says, hey, do, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, Jesus, I love you. Do, do you love me the way I love you, Peter? And he says, you know everything. You know that I can only love you like this. 
It is this, and again, we totally miss it in the English, but within the Greek, there is this incredibly um, exposed and vulnerable exchange where Jesus is not asking, hey, can you love me like everyone else? He wants something deeper. And for the first time in Peter's life, he's looking at the one he's pledged his life to, and he says, I can't do it. I can't love you the way that you've loved me. I thought I could. I did my best. But at the end of the day, I'm just not enough. And Peter is at the end of himself. And at the moment when you would think Jesus would say, aha, exactly, I'm taking this away from you, he echoes the same command to him. He says, go, feed my sheep. And in this moment, you can imagine the shock mixed with hurt in Peter's heart of saying, wait a minute, I just confessed to you for the first time in my life, I'm not enough. And then in return, you call me back into the work that you first gave to me. And he shows him the redemptive power that love has in this moment. He goes, the same aroma that he would have smelled in the night of his failure, the same third repetition, he goes back and he echoes it. But rather than pointing out where he was wrong, he says, you're still in. Because of what I've done, you are still a part. You are still welcomed into my family. And it gets even better, though. Because after that, after he, he starts describing what will take place later on in Peter's life, he looks at him and he says these words, follow me. The same words he spoke to, to Peter three years prior when he left his fishing business. But I, want, I wanted just to pause on this phrase, follow me. Because what he's asking here is different than what he asked three years ago. And, and, and I don't know if you guys have ever realized. I, I want to read you guys out of Matthew chapter 4 how this first happened. There's so many familiarities, right? They're in a boat, throwing it on the other side, large catch of fish, and then Jesus calls him to follow him. So Matthew 4 says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, opizo in the Greek. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Anyone else been like weirded out by that sentence ever? At once they left everything and followed him. I mean, it's, I just try and put that in our current context. Like maybe you've worked from the ground up at your company and you're finally like, you know, you're, you're a supervisor, you've worked really hard and, and all of a sudden some random guy who you heard a podcast that you kind of like showed up at your work and said, I want you to leave all of this and come follow me. And you're like, done, easy. And you just, and you pack up your box and you leave. Like, we, it's hard, like, like how, I don't know if that would really happen. And the reason is because that's actually not what's going on here. And in order to understand what's going on here, you have to understand a little bit about the Jewish educational system of that day. You see, every Hebrew boy from the ages of 5 to 10 was a part of a school, was invited to a school very similar to kind of our elementary schools, if you can think of that, called Bet Sefer. And Bet Sefer is where you would learn and memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, every single verse. And as they would be studying uh, the Torah, and they reached the age of 10, they had every single um, word memorized in it. By the way, there's still Orthodox Jews who do this today. 
At that point, they would have been able to realize that who is kind of at the top of the class, who really excelled. And there might just be a couple that they would be inviting what was called Bet Talmud, which is house of learning. And that was from the age of 10 to 14. And 10 to 14, you would memorize not just the first five books of the Bible, but the entire Old Testament, right? <laughs> it makes our public education more bleak than we realize. It's like, like, wow, like they've memorized the entire Old Testament. But not only do they memorize more, they are taught on how to ask questions, which displays their learning. This is why when Jesus is 12 in Luke chapter 2, he's at the temple. What is he doing? He's in the temple courts asking questions, which is a reference that he's probably in Bet Talmud at this time. So he's displaying this level of knowledge. He says they were shocked by how wise and smart he was. Well, if, if you made it past this level, and again, this was like the elites, the Ivy Leagues of Jewish schools, and you were the best of the best, a rabbi who were few and far between that day would look at someone, this is what they would think. Could they be like me? And if they saw a student every few years that might be able to become a rabbi that carried on their train of thought and carried on their tradition, they would go to them and they would say this word to them. They would say, opizo. And opizo means follow me. And it was the highest honor you could have as a Jewish male to hear those words from a rabbi. At that time, that rabbi would share their yoke with you their way of thinking and living. And your goal for the next few years of your life was literally to become like your rabbi. Remember we talked about this? Be with your rabbi, become like your rabbi, do what he did. And so this, is, so this makes a little bit more sense when Jesus, a rabbi, shows up and he looks at some very successful fishermen and says, oh, Pizzo, and they drop everything because there is no greater accomplishment as a Jewish male than to be invited by a rabbi to come follow him. And so Peter's done this. And so what does he do with that opportunity? He throws himself into it. He wants to be the best student apprentice he could be. Any opportunity he gets, he's like, I'm there. I'm your guide, Jesus. Oh, you want me to walk on water? I'll walk on water. Like, there's nothing that Peter won't do because he wants to be the greatest apprentice ever. And yet, at some point, Jesus looks at him and says, all of your willpower, all of your best efforts, all of your ideals are not enough. And this is the point when Peter finds himself at the end of himself and Jesus asks him, hey, do you love me the way that I love you? And for the first time in Peter's life, he says no. And Jesus looks at Peter one more time and says, oh, Piso, follow me. But here's what's interesting. The first time Jesus asked Peter to follow him, he had not been crucified. He was a prolific rabbi. But as far as Peter was concerned, he was very, all he knew was the humanity of Jesus. Fast forward, Jesus is in his resurrected body. And when he looks into the eyes of Peter and he says the words of Piso, what he's saying is, you can be like me. From death to life, resurrection. The Son of God, risen from the grave, follow me. I'm calling you not only into apprenticeship, but resurrection. You can be like me. And he's looking at Peter when all he knows is death relationally, death to his dreams, death to his calling. And Jesus, the resurrected Christ, would come and show up at, him at his lowest moment and says, I'm calling you into life. 
I'm calling you out of your failure. I'm calling you out of what you cannot do. And I'm giving you what I've done for you. I'm calling you to become like me, not only in my death, but in my resurrection. And this is what is so profound, and this is what gives us hope for all of our relationships. Because the reality is, is every single one of us will have moments in our relationships that feel like death. They'll feel like loss. They'll feel like whether it's you or something done to you, it'll feel like, how is God going to repair this? And God, if we let him in, can do one of two things in a way that only he can. The first is redemption. He can take what is broken and messed up and tangled, and he can untangle it, mend it, and bring it back to wholeness. And some of you guys might be here like, but that's not my story. My story is it didn't get messed up. My story is that it actually died. And what Jesus would say to that is, that's not the end of my story, though. I can even take what is dead and breathe life into it. I can, there's nothing far beyond my grasp that I cannot enter into and infuse my life into. It's one of my greatest joys as a pastor is to walk with people long enough to see them encounter what they think is death and God has already called resurrection. Is to watch people to the point when they feel like there is no hope and to see redemption come in reconciliation, forgiveness, and healing. It is one of the greatest privileges of my life is to watch resurrection power happen for those who hear those words of Jesus. Oh, please, oh, follow me. Become like me in resurrection life. So my, my encouragement to you today as we end a series talking about relationships and for many of us, we're, we're confronted. I mean, don't, you, you don't think the past few weeks I've looked at my own marriage and parenting and being like, oh, not the ideal. Like, I should have done better in that moment. Because when you talk about this stuff, in my context, I'm like, I'm far from this. What am I doing preaching about it? But then I come across this, and I'm like, oh, this is why. Because Jesus invites me as a broken, flawed individual to become like him in his resurrection life. And he invites it to you today. He invites whatever you're going on in your life, no matter how broken or bleak it seems, would you answer this call? But here's how it is. The, The invitation is not to try harder. The invitation is to himself. The invitation is come back. Come back to me. Come back to your first love. This is the... In Revelation chapter 2, you find him exhorting the church. And he, and he tells this church in Revelations, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. He says, you've persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. I mean, it describes like a lot of relationships, doesn't it? Like you've worked really, really hard. You've been loyal. You're trying. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. The invitation to this church is not that you're not trying hard. It's like, come back to your first love. Come back to your first love. Why? Well, John, later on in his life, writes a letter. And in chapter 4 of that letter, he says, Dear friends, matter of fact, Lizzie, I'm going to invite you to come up. And I want, you to, I want you to pay attention to these words. Because this is how we started this series. This is how we're going to end this series. If there's one thing, if we can grasp as a church of the key to relationships, it's right here. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. 
Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Come back to your first love. We can all be like Peter this morning and just say, I am not enough as a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a girlfriend, whatever your relational context is for you to just realize this morning, I'm not enough, but Jesus, you are. You loved me first. Love comes from you. Fill me. Be the life of my love. And let that empower me to love others. Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsaniego.com.